Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash sbfvgs. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to Super Best Friends Video Game Sleepover, Episode 8. You're listening to the number one video game podcast on the internet that features my best friends. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Adam Redding. Joining me is Mike PS4 Lopez. I finally got one. <laughs> and David Big Movie Star Tate. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you're a big movie star now. You did your, your visual effects for your movie and yeah, all that. Yeah, but I'm not starring in the movie. I just worked kind of behind the scenes you know that's not that's not what i heard and the acclaimed <laughs> author of the book console wars mr blake j harris thank you for joining us thank you for calling me acclaimed i think that's the first time and i liked it <laughs> highly highly acclaimed is what i had and i marked off the highly part i'm sorry about that <laughs> perfect thank you <laughs> only a few superlatives not not too yeah. <laughs> the super best friends video game sleepover podcast comes to you every fortnight with each of us coming to the table with one burning topic from the world of gaming but first happy new year everyone happy new year 2015 yes but uh you know we have some breaking news of course we hinted at a second ago the top news story of the new year is mike's ps4 <laughs> yeah the whole I'm world not, has been I'm waiting a smelly for old gaming hobo anymore i'm all caught up <laughs> Yeah, and and you've already you've already bested Infamous Second Son. Yes, uh, really, what? really solid. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. I beat it. How did you do that so fast? Um, I have problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I don't know. Maybe not something you should be proud of. But yeah, uh, it it happened. Little. Yeah, it's a little known fact, but Mike actually bought the eighteenth and a half millionth PS4. Wait. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. really impressive. Yeah, because they hit 18.5 million, and yeah, Mike got the, he got that one. He got so. that point five. I did. <laughs> yeah. Man, good for you, man. It's a huge honor. <laughs> <laughs> but what's everyone playing lately? Why don't, uh, Blake, you're, you're our guest. Why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yeah. Well, I'd like to first start off by saying that the whole 18 and a half million, the whole, didn't you feel like when we were kids, there was, oh, I always felt like when you get older and just throughout life, there'd be that like hundredth customer, million, blah, blah, blah thing. That never really yeah. came to pass. Like I, yeah. I've never been one of those customers, and I feel like it's not as prevalent as once it was, or as it no, was promised to be. Uh, but what, <laughs> in a non-tangential uh, conversation, what I'm playing is uh, I got uh, Super Smash Brothers for the Wii U about nice. uh, ten days yes. ago, and uh, that is what is uh, keeping me away from writing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was just playing that downstairs before I came up, started recording, um, playing it with the kids and the wife. Uh, it's mayhem. I don't know what I'm doing with Smash Brothers. I just push all the buttons furiously. You're playing but, it right. But sometimes I win that way. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel the same way. Um, it's pretty bad. I, I wish it was like, so, you know, that I felt like I was progressing or that I was learning things. But uh, mm-hmm. I guess I seem to be winning about 20% of the time anyway. It's probably pretty random. <laughs> so, what, so what are your favorite characters? Well... That's the thing, like because I'm I'm pretty bad at that game, and I'm pretty bad at video games in general. So you know, the first time I played, I was Sonic, of course, and he was so fast that he was just flying off 
the, the the edge of the cliff. Um, I actually played the top oh, yeah. level, which was a terrible place to play. So I, I, I've been playing with characters like uh, um, Pikachu and Kirby and Jigglypuff just because they are, you know, they're, they're not as A touch little sensitive. more manageable. Yeah. And can, yeah. Kind of like I, I fly to safety. Yeah. I it. played one round with uh, Little Mac and I had the same problem just flying off the side left <laughs> and right. Because I don't know, for whatever reason, if you hit, if you hit two of the buttons at the same time, he'll do some flip and just die off the, yeah. off the edge. <laughs> so, that's his secret move. So, so that's what I started off with. I don't even, I wouldn't say that those characters are necessarily my uh, choice of uh, the type of fighter I am or that I want to become. But uh, at the moment, it's like my, <laughs> those seem to offer the most training wheels for the fights. Yeah, very cool. What about you guys? Uh, Mike, what are you playing? Well, like we already said, I, I beat Infamous Second Son. Great yes. game. I'll, I'll do a run back uh, maybe in another month or so and, uh, do a renegade get a platinum all that fun stuff so you are gonna platinum infamous eh uh, yeah i think i will again i have problems infamous um, i think it well if they had had platinum back when i was playing the first infamous that would have been the first game i ever platinums but uh, yeah usually i don't i don't play that much so <laughs> um and then yeah since then i've been playing that uh, that dragon age inquisition oh very nice it's a it's a cool game it deserves all the praise that it gets. All the kids are talking about all it. All the kids are talking about it. Let me, let me complain about one thing. The menu. Oh, uh, I've heard the, this. The yeah. inventory menu is, that is straight up garbage right there. <laughs> it takes so long to do anything. It's, it's kind of taking fun away from the game. Like, oh, is it, do you mean will, like I'll it's just a, slow as you're no, trying no, to it's navigate just, through? It's just not, it's not well put together. It's not well organized. Oh. You can't sort things in it. Um, or if you can, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> it, it gets to the point where like, I'll pick up new things and like I don't even care what they are anymore. Like I'll figure it out later. <laughs> it takes too long to check that menu. But other than that, that game is fantastic. Having a lot of fun. Unbelievable. That's awesome. Um, I have a little curveball of what I've been playing recently. Um, so like I have Dragon Age Origins or not Origins Inquisition. Um, you know I have you know I have a I got another game for Christmas too, but I can't remember what it is. But instead of any of those games, I've been playing Alien Isolation. Oh, oh yeah, I saw your tweet about that. Yeah, and that uh, that game is is way cooler than I thought it was going to be. Like I, I heard a lot of negative things about it uh, when it came out. Um, and, oh, okay. You know, to be fair, I'm not very far in the game, so maybe those things will show up later. But so far, I'm just having a good time walking around those old spaceships that look futuristic, but also now kind of retro, which is just this really cool. Like I don't even know. It's just the alien universe. You know, it's just a cool universe. So yeah. Yeah, yeah so I love that they went with that whole 70, 70s sci-fi aesthetic, you know, like yeah. it looks so uh, aged, but, you know, futuristic at the same time. Yeah. Maybe that's what the future looks like. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> everything is... We go back to CRT monitors and... Yeah. Yeah. We're like, all this high def is nonsense. Back to low def. <laughs> yeah. And then also I've been playing a little bit of Heroes of the Storm because uh, I don't know why. I just I just am a sucker for that game. Um, I've been playing it like crazy. It's fun. And the beta is about to start next week, too. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just got a beta invite for Evolve for the stress test this weekend. Oh, yeah. I'm totally doing that. Yeah. So that, that'll be cool. Um, I, I started playing Resogun on Vita just because, you know, I just any excuse to get hooked on that game again. <laughs> um, and it's really good. It's 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 still better on PS4 with the PS4 controller, but um on vita it was still really fun so that's that's awesome to have on the go and then uh, last night i fired up the swapper oh yeah, yeah that game is awesome i love it what, um, now are you playing that on the ps4 or on the vita 
I I'm playing on PS4. I did um I transferred my cloud save up and I pulled it down on the Vita today uh to try it out on the Vita as well and it is I don't recommend playing on the Vita. It's like too tiny. You can't see anything. <laughs> okay. So I um, heard a little bit of that, yeah. Yeah, so PS4 is the way to go. That game is like beautiful and it's weird and the puzzles are fun and you feel like a genius when you oh, solve them kind of like kind of like playing a Jonathan Blow game, you know, you just yeah. feel so smart when you finally solve it. So um really good stuff though um awesome but yeah uh, microsoft has unleashed the true power of the xbox one <laughs> and there's gonna be more on that later uh in the show um but yeah definitely worth noting i think that's that's kind of interesting i guess they took more resources away from the os and uh yeah are enabling game designers to use it so. yeah an interesting side note about that though is i think they haven't officially announced that yet. Is that right? Isn't it? Hasn't it just been discovered by some hackers? Yeah, like I, I believe hackers got a hold of the dev kit, and um, yeah, and they leaked that info. Hmm. So kind of interesting. Very interesting. Um. Okay. So PlayStation Now. What is? What's everyone's thoughts on that? Uh, Blake, have you heard of this PlayStation Now business? No. What? What is? No. That? Okay. So PlayStation Now is. Uh, it's been in beta for ages. Oh, is this um, the uh, the rental or like sort of like the Netflixy type aspect? Basically, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, the beta was kind of like you pay eighteen dollars and you get this game to stream for six days. You know, like weird. The pricing was all weird. Yeah, it was. But now, pricing. yeah, now they have announced finally the uh, monthly subscription model, which that seems a lot more likely to. I don't know, to, at least to me, to be a success. Yeah. Um, that thing was never yeah, going to live on individual rentals. That, that's impossible. But yeah, they, they announced if you're month to month, it's $20 though. Wait, yeah. does that, is that that's too much? That's pretty steep. That's pretty yeah. steep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bit much for me. Yeah. I, and I guess if you commit for three months, it's 15 a month, which I, I kind yeah. of, yeah, I kind of felt like if it was 15 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month, it would be a pretty successful service. Um, as long as they get, you know, enough games on there and everything. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, what do you guys think? I think, you know, like Netflix is eight bucks a month. Hulu is what? Nine bucks a month, something like that. And I mean, like it costs almost the same amount of money to make movies as it does video games. Right. Or maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit more for video games, but it's it's a lot more. (laughs) Okay. Well, I I don't understand this thing called money. So (laughs) (laughs) you moved to New York, you got rid of all. (laughs) Yeah. I just gave all my money away. And anyway, um, I don't know. It just seems, that just seems like too much money a month for i mean maybe like some really hardcore gamers will be like oh yeah that's perfect but well i yeah. really yeah i was surprised I with see- the price point because you know it is it seems very similar to the netflix model and i think one of the best parts mm-hmm. about the netflix model is that when i first signed up and maybe when you guys first signed up it was a lot cheaper or like, i feel like it would have been wise for them to start off at you know, ten dollars a month or eight ninety nine a month and then kind of creep it up and and little do we know we're yeah. paying 20 bucks a yeah. month um, that's it. You like, know, you know, that's if for it me, was, right. if it was between, track yeah, if it was like ten dollars. <laughs> I feel like sure, why not? I'll try it. What, what do I have to lose except for I guess ten dollars? Yeah. Um, so I'm surprised that it's yeah, kind of prohibitive at, at twenty dollars a month or fifteen dollars for three months each. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if if you think about it, twenty bucks, uh, you can buy a lot of games for less than twenty bucks now. Um, yeah, it's true. You know, so if I'm spending that every month just to play old games. You know, it, it seems like a high price to pay for backwards compatibility. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like if they were like brand new PS4 games, that would be a lot more tempting of an offer as well. 
Like yeah. these are all like the the or the what's the newest game on there? It's probably like uh, I don't. I know, haven't looked the whole library. I know they're they're advertising the Last of Us, so uh, maybe that's on there right now. I'm not sure. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, speaking of The Last of Us, uh, you can take that same $20 and go buy The Last of Us Remastered for PS4. <laughs> that's true. Uh, they have it on, I think it's on Groupon right now for 20 bucks. Yeah, I saw good. that. That's so amazing. That's, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> and then the last uh, news story I have noted here is uh, the announcement of Sling TV uh, for Xbox One and other platforms. Oh, and I heard also, about that. also PlayStation View um, for PS3, PS4, and eventually other platforms as well. But yeah, it's kind of like... Uh, it's debuting at CES here. This is going on in, uh, is it Las Vegas? Yeah, Las Vegas. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so they just debuted these and it seems like the future of TV is finally, at least the future I want of TV is finally coming, which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Now, if I could just get a cable modem internet subscription for the, for cheaper without like getting all the cable and like right now it's cheaper for me to have cable uh, uh, cable modem and phone, then it's cheaper than to just have cable modem by itself, which is just absurd to me. How aggravating is it that they make you, they shoehorn in all this stuff? Like you have to use a fax machine and <laughs> you have to, you know, it's like, Oh, come on. I don't want any of that. I just want the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I'm on the, uh, every six months plan where I call charter and, and complain and then they lower the price for another six months. <laughs> That's pretty brilliant actually. Yeah, I do mine for one year with Verizon. Yeah, actually actually this last time I did get a whole a full calendar year. So that's wow. good. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, hey I want to add one more news item though because yeah. uh I'm pretty excited about this. So it's twenty fifteen. It's the year that Marty McFly went to in Back to the Future Two. No mm-hmm. hoverboards. Well kind of hoverboards, but not really. But uh, they just Nike just announced that they're they're releasing the Power Laces shoe. Yes, <laughs> and that is just Blake. so exciting. <laughs> Blake, is, I can see. I think yeah. you need some. What do you think? I mean, I would love some, but I honestly just spent <laughs> my last dollar on uh, Biff's manure, so I can't afford <laughs> the Nike shoe. Which now I feel like I'm behind the manure. So <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Well, you know, sometimes you got to farm. Yeah. Farmer's going to farm. <laughs> no, but that's you really know. cool. I can't believe that it's finally the future. I, I love yeah, that. Well, I, I remember watching it the first time. Jeez. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can't that's, believe that. That's probably we're my favorite. I, yeah, I, that's probably my favorite of the Back to the Future movies. And I know it's it feels really weird to be in 2015. And I, I can only... I'm still looking forward to, you know, the flying cars and everything yeah. coming la- later this year. I'm really looking forward um, to the neon spandex that everyone will be wearing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, um, so my brother is, is turning 30, so, so this is how long ago it was. I remember Back to the Future 2 is one of the first movies I remember seeing in theaters, and afterwards, when we were leaving, he asked my parents if we could hang behind so we could meet the actors. He thought that they like came came out backstage after after the movie. So that's however many years ago where he wouldn't have even realized, uh, you know, the wow. of the movie. Like they're they're behind the screen yes. somewhere. <laughs> that's amazing. Yes. They come out and take a bow. Yes. Uh, that is awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. So I remember they teased those shoes actually back in like 2011. Yeah. Well, they yeah. released was... they released a pair, but they didn't have the power laces, which was lame. Oh, that's that's yeah. the difference. Why bother? <laughs> Why bother? <laughs> yeah, but if you look at the picture, these these shoes look exactly like the ones now in in the movie. So I'm that's pretty so cool. I'm pretty excited. There was an atlas in any direction. <laughs>
right, you guys, you ready for some Twitter questions? I am so ready. All right. Now, I don't know. This one, uh, we actually got right after the PSX conference, and we, we just couldn't squeeze it in. But I wanted to bring this one back. Um, Native Filth writes in. It's uh, <laughs> a great name, his, by the way. <laughs> the name... It's it's this is a tough one because I am dumb. Quijabo, uh, oh. I'm going to say Quijabo writes in Quijabo. It's a Simpsons reference. Oh, oh okay. Wow. See, I'm that's not- why we have you on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm you're good, good for. for one like. thing only: telling what old guys are joking about. He knows the <laughs> he knows the Simpsons references. He knows the uh, Venture Brothers references. Yeah, yeah. So. We'll just keep him for the re- the reference guy. That's Mike. <laughs> So this one basically saying PSX, um, which game actually disappointed you? So was there anything that came out that was announced there at the beginning of December, you know, that actually was kind of like a disappointment? Hmm. I don't think so. Well, (laughs) I can tell you my disappointment. Tell me. My disappointment I'm, is that you didn't get to play the order 1886. <laughs> I was disappointed too. I'm, you know, I'm going to say the No Man's Sky trailer. What? Just because I think that game looks really cool from previous times I've seen it. Um, but the trailer they showed at PSX was, it looked really boring. Oh. I don't know why. It was just like, oh, you know, you're flying around and and we already know the novelty of like going to a brand new planet and like it gets generated right there on the fly and you get to discover it and everything. But then he just kind of gets out, walks around and then gets back in the ship and flies somewhere else. <laughs> I was like, what? That doesn't look very fun. So that was the only thing. I was just a little disappointed by the trailer. I, I still, I don't know. I'm I'm on the fence. I think that game could be really something amazing or it, you know, or it could be like that where you just walk around and it seems pointless to be fair minecraft is a lot like that too where you can walk around and just go walk for days and it's all randomly generated and you can get really bored um sometimes those games require you to like kind of have your own make up your own idea of what's happening so hopefully if no man's sky is is like minecraft it's a little more guided and kind of like here you should try this next and now maybe Mm. try that because if it doesn't have that then it might end up being boring to a lot of people which would be a big bummer because it looks really cool yeah it's so ambitious yeah um all right next question here i'm going to direct this one to blake um, all right this is from someone calling themselves act three which i don't know if that's their real name uh, probably not <laughs> i don't know um but the twitter handle they're, X, they're the, the part of the of the movie that has the climax so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true um the twitter handle at x the did act which that's that's tricky to say. Uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which do you, which do you guys think is more important in a game? Graphics, controls, gameplay, music, sound design, uh, or art style? Blake, what do you think? Um, I mean, I, I gameplay. I, I think definitely, but but I'll but I but I was intrigued by controls because I feel like those hand in hand. Um, mm, like yeah. you know, going back to Super Smash Brothers, what is so nice about it? is just that visceral feeling you get, um, you know, when, when you're just mashing the buttons uh, aimlessly. But sort of just right. the, the way that the game interacts <laughs> and, and the efficacy you feel in being able to to control things and, and react to things. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a story guy, so definitely a gameplay guy. Um, I'm not impressed by great graphics. I like good story. <laughs> I think that's that's true of uh, especially people who've grown up playing games like like all of us have. Um, just you know, 
you you played these games that looked you know you were controlling like a little dot running around you know and it's like and and you had so much fun with it so yeah gameplay kind of has to be king i the only thing i would say i would i would cheat a little bit on this one i would say story um, oh that's not even an option <laughs> even though it's not yeah, an option totally in there cheating. i would cheat and say i would say story um uh, because even i i've loved games that even had kind of you know mediocre or or you know Badish gameplay if the story was really excellent so um but yeah yeah what do you guys what, what do you think mike yeah i'm kind of in that same boat i'm kind of surprised story is not on that list unless he's yeah he's just kind of correlating gameplay with story um as like an all-in-one kind of thing but yeah story for me that's that's what drives me to to finish a lot of these games there's too many to get through and i feel like if there's not a compelling reason to finish it then i'll pick it up i'll play it for a little while i'm like okay hey, that was super fun and then it goes away forever um, yeah. unless it has like you know something that draws me and like i have yeah. to finish i have to know what has well what's happening next <laughs> yeah i would say i would i would i'm pretty much there with you guys um story isn't as important to me because like if you look at all the things that are listed graphics um music sound design art style those are all things that tv shows have movies have so like the thing that makes games oh, different is controls and gameplay um and you know, because of that, I think that that's why that's the most important for video games. Because always got to be different. <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, it would just be another movie or a video game. You know, like it, this, or I'm sorry, a, a movie or a TV show. That's what makes video games different. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, like you know, for example, Minecraft doesn't have any story at all, but I've played hours and hours of that because the controls and the gameplay are really fun. No, it's clearly for the graphics. <laughs> okay. I want to meet the guy who like says graphics. Like, you, you don't want to have fun? No, I just really want to look at something beautiful. I don't care if the controls are good, if the gameplay sucks. I just, you know, just you can, you can meet that guy on the internet for sure. I'm sure he's going to have a long conversation about, about how many P's are in a game. Yeah, no, I've, and I've definitely been... I'm, I've been uh accused of being a shallow gamer sometimes <laughs> like just like a game looks really pretty and so i end up playing way more of it than i probably should have <laughs> uh, just because it looked so jaw-dropping but yeah it's it's got to be gameplay i think from this list um for me at least all right sixth roman writes in he says what is one nintendo series you guys would make a new game for if you could oh i know Ooh. the answer to this one immediately are we going to have the same answer? Maybe. <laughs> uh, for me, it's Star Fox. And that's, okay. that is cheating a little bit because Shigeru Miyamoto has said he is working on a new Star Fox. Yeah, there is a new Star Fox coming out for Wii U. Is it this year or next year? Well, he said to 2015. So we'll see what happens. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I've been waiting for a new Star Fox. I mean, the last new one, like that was actually a Star Fox game, in my opinion, was uh, Star Fox 64. And, yeah, because wasn't there one on GameCube where you're like running around on the <laughs> on the ground and stuff? Yeah, and... it was like some weird RPG thing, and I don't know, they're like you know anthropomorphic, you know, animals running around in skimpy clothing, and it was just weird to me. And uh, you know, I it just wasn't my thing. I ne- I played maybe an hour of it and gave up. Uh, yeah, my my first instinct was to say Super Mario RPG, but it's not a Nintendo game, strictly speaking. Oh, it's a Square game. Yeah. But I would love a new Super Mario RPG game. Um, but yeah, I, I also wrote Star Fox. What about you? Uh, Blake, did you, do you have one that you would want to make if you could? Something long dormant, perhaps? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm still... I, I love Shy Guy, so I'm hoping he gets his own game someday soon. Oh, nice. But, uh, <laughs> but, but my answer is... is uh, 
as I was thinking about, I, I would love sort of just a, a, a Super Mario Brothers two style game, which I know wasn't even also a really a Nintendo game since it was right. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're in good Panic. company here. But I would love like sort of a, a 2015 version of you know 3D you know Super Mario Land, but with sort of a, a Mario two style and and sort of that. With you know the one game that didn't feel like it took place in the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, that going to the awesome. the silhouette land and get the <laughs> yeah. potions and I that's actually my favorite NES game. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really with Super good. Mario Two. It's very replayable wow. too. So I think a Let's lot of Japanese it, people would be yeah. very confused by that though. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because it's not a real. Japan? It was like a... Doki Doki Panic. That's right. Yeah, yeah Doki <laughs> Panic. Yeah, and it was like just reskinned and yeah, uh, exactly. turned into a Mario game because yeah. Why not? Like, this will sell like crazy if we put Mario on the box. <laughs> and they were right. <laughs> and they were right. Yeah, it's a good game. Well, I think it's pretty... I mean, it's funny that the, the reason they didn't release it here is because it was too difficult. So, what does that say about American gamers, or at least we're American terrible. gamers in 1990? Yeah, sissies. <laughs> Bunch of sissies. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I would... Uh, I'd have to go back to Metroid. And mm. here's why. They've been making Metroid games. That's but true. I want... And, I, and this is probably an unpopular opinion, but I want that first person garbage out of here. I want back to side scrolling, <laughs> difficult platforming, like Super Metroid is where it's at. And I want more yeah. of that. Yeah. Kind of like what they did with uh, A Link Between Worlds, but like with Super Metroid. Ooh. Just yes, make a sequel you. to exactly. Super Metroid. I want that. Well, to be fair, be awesome. they did they did release a couple 2D Metroid games on the DS, I believe it was. That's true. Yeah, yeah I, would, I, I want those. one on Wii and, U and that looks gorgeous. Most of those and... were pretty good. Like, uh, gosh, what's the uh, what's the one where she loses the suit? Uh, oh, what is that called? I forgot I the names know. of both of them. Or it doesn't them. matter. The, the yeah. fact is, there needs to be more. There do need to be more. <laughs> and I would love a console one because I have a hard time playing handheld games just because I get bored of them. So it'd yeah. be nice. It'd be nice to just sit down on my couch and play a gorgeous, you know, 1080p Metroid 2D plot or whatever. What is that called? Metroidvania? Is that what yeah. they call this? Yeah. 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 So that's- or just Metroid if it's Metroid. Yeah. Axiom <laughs> Verge looks like it'll hold me over for the time being, but uh, I want a Metroid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question we have here is from Just Illa. Just Illa. Just yeah, Illa. we got Just Illa. <laughs> uh, at NJ underscore Just Illa, uh, Noah Just Illa writes in, what series or set of games is the best candidate for a remake on new hardware? And now, this I is sort of like, along the lines of the Nintendo question, but mm-hmm. sort of, yeah, but, but this spectrum. one, yeah, but this one more like an HD remake or of some sort, you know, I think we all know the answer to this one. Oh, we it's do? It's obviously the Overblood series. What? <laughs> I don't even remember that series. People! People! Oh! Oh, I forgot all about that game. Now, oh if for those of you who are not familiar with Overblood, this was a very mediocre uh, game that w- came out right after the original Resident Evil it was on, on PlayStation. PS1, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, you're like the scientist guy, and you're in the lab, and there's all these zombies running around, and Peepo... It's P I P O. Um, he was this friendly little robot that you that you meet at the beginning of the game, who kind of helps you R two D two style. But he's in the game know? for like five minutes, right? Yeah, he helps you R two D two style, like get through a couple of doors, and and you're like, uh, you know, 
okay, I've known this robot for 15 minutes, and then he gets <laughs> smashed or something. He gets he destroyed, and the main character just, like, looks up at the sky, and just with anguish in his voice, people! People! And it was, <laughs> I just remember, I was playing it, David and I have known each other since high school, and we were sitting there playing that game, and just dying laughing. Just like, we were totally into this game, and then just dying laughing instantly. It was so good. Um, I'll actually, I found it on YouTube the uh the people scene oh, so nice. i I'll, I'll put it in the blog post so you guys can uh <laughs> you guys can watch it um pretty great yeah, actually, I, I guess also, my game informer uh does this thing called replay where they'll and sometimes they'll do like replay extended where they'll play through an entire game and uh what was it overblood is that the name yeah overblood. Yeah, they played through that entire game Oh yeah, so yeah, you can check it out that way, and yeah. so you get the pacing of it because it's the pacing is what makes it really hilarious. It's just <laughs> like you barely meet this little robot, and then he's just he's crushed when he loses him. <laughs> I think my my real pick would probably be the uh, Parappa and Um Jammer Lammy oh, games. Yeah, for real. If we can get like a good HD remake of that, um, if they can somehow sort out the uh, HDMI lag uh, issue, but. But yeah, those would be my pick. What about you guys? That was it. You, you, I guess you picked them. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about this for a second. I don't actually have an answer right off the top of my head. Um, I think it's tough because so many of the games that I would want are available as like PS1 classics or other on the uh, yeah. Nintendo like virtual console. Or mm-hmm. you so, know, you know, what game I think would be really cool is a remake of Chrono Trigger. <laughs> with the uh with the uh a link between worlds approach where they kind of it looks the same but it's now modernized you know i mm. think i think that could be pretty cool i don't know, why. I know Mike doesn't like ice. that idea but. that sounds like straight up blasphemy to me <laughs> <laughs> it sounds cool to me because i have a hard time like going back and playing older games if i miss them when oh I was a kid. you like, are if there, killing me if there isn't the nostalgia factor you know, yeah. it's hard to I'm, appreciate it, you know? I'm actually playing Chrono Trigger for the very first time as a PS1 classic on the the old Vita, and I think it looks great. I mean, it's just... Huh. But I, I really like pixel art, though, so I don't know. I That's, mean, I do, uh, too, but I tend to only like pixel art from games that I played when I was a kid. You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I'm sorry. I sound like I was going to retort, but instead I apologize. Yeah, well, it's okay. You're wrong, so it's fine. I'm wrong, Okay. I accept it. Okay. For you, the listeners of the Super Best Friends Video Game Sleepover Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Mike recommends the audiobook of Console Wars by Blake J. Harris, Sega, Nintendo, and the battle that defined a generation. You can also download an audiobook of your choice, free of charge, by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash sbfvgs. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash sbfvgs for your free audiobook. Okay, okay, we're back. We're back. Nailed it. Nailed it. Okay. Um, for Mike's topic this week, we have the illustrious Blake J. Oh, Harris. Illustrious. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's here. We're going to talk to him about his book, Console Wars, which we are very excited about. Uh, Mike, you just finished it. I did. Um, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Well, 
first of all, Blake, thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I feel like a better, smarter, wiser podcast would have right off the bat (laughs) introduced you and said, hey, can you tell us a little about yourself? (laughs) Oh, no, no. Retrospect. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I became a rare to uh, sort of stay behind the scenes. So I like sort of, I like lurking. You know, it's good for uh, stalking people and uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy with that later introduction and, and I'm excited to be on the show and talk about the book. Fantastic. Um, so just for everyone listening, the, the book title is Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo and the Battle that Defined a Generation. So I'm sure this question has been asked a million times, uh, but what was sort of your inspiration for, for writing about this particular time period? Um, I mean, it's kind of... The, the whole inspiration is really, you know, the name of your guy's show. Um, just the idea that, you know, before I wrote the book, I was soldier in this battle between Sagan and Till, and it dominated my social life. It was, you know, what, what, you know, you didn't have friends over to talk about girls. You had friends over to play video games and then talk about girls or talk about sports. It was like yeah, <laughs> the equivalent of alcohol to an adult, you know. It's like the social lubricant of our time growing up, and it was, you know, what I remember about sleepovers, what I remember about hanging out with my brother, um, it was such a big part of my life when I was younger, and, and I don't think just for me, but for, for millions of people who grew up in the 80s and 90s. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think, that, you know, back then, video game, you weren't even a gamer to be playing that much and for that to be part of your life. That was just a kid. And uh, so, yeah. so looking back on all that and sort of inspired by uh, Sega Genesis that my brother bought me four years ago, um, it just it just reminded me what a big part of my childhood video games were. Um, and not, I guess not just, what it reminded me is that everybody played. When I found out that my fiance who grew up in St. Louis and doesn't, hasn't touched a video game in 15 years, that she knew Mario and played it all the time and wanted <laughs> it for Christmas. Like this was a universal thing that we all had in common. And we didn't know that cause we didn't have the internet and didn't talk to strangers back then. But, uh, you know, <laughs> so, so, and, and this was around the time I also, I saw the social network and I remember speaking with my fiance and saying, uh, you know, what was sort of the, the, the intersection of technology and entertainment and pop culture for our generation? What was the big thing that sort of connected us? And, and through that conversation, it seemed to be Sega and Nintendo. Um, and, mm. and, you know, which side of the battle you were on and, and friendships were made and lost by where you stood. <laughs> and so <That's> true. <laughs> uh, before I even set out to write the book, I honestly just wanted to read it. I, I just wanted to learn more about what had been going on behind the scenes since we, we were just kids. I figured there was a lot of uh, mischief and mayhem and intrigue going on in the, the corporate setting. And, you know, my favorite books to read are those like Moneyball, the smartest guys in the room, just these behind the scenes looks at the, at the business world of things that we're all familiar with and don't always think twice about. Um, mm-hmm. And so I went to uh, the the Barnes and Noble on 86th Street in Manhattan, and which is, I think, the biggest one in the, in the city. And I was looking for the video game history section um, by the movie history section or the film history section, the music history section. And there was no such video game section. Uh, I asked <laughs> the woman at the information desk, which I always uh you know avoided doing but i really wanted to read something on this and i asked her where it was and she laughed at me there's no video game history section and i said all right well how about just one of the books on sega and nintendo or one of one of the companies there was nothing you know how about just a book on video games the history of video games the business of video games um nothing nothing in store nothing that even tried to order me which i always find weird because i could just order it myself um and, and the only thing yeah. that we had in this entire three floor three story store was walkthrough guides to games um so that was kind of shocking to me uh yeah Yeah. because you know the video game industry is huge we were talking earlier the cost of a video game versus a movie you know it's 
video games have arrived. This is not just some uh, fringe activity that, that, uh, that, you know, the mainstream audience doesn't know about or doesn't care about. So I was just shocked. And, uh, you know, of course there are, there are books my book is certainly not the first, uh, in, uh, about the industry. Um, and I, and I found some of those, um, but they're definitely, you know, harder to find out of print. Like David Sheff's book game over about Nintendo was, I paid 60 bucks on, uh, eBay on Amazon because oh it was, they didn't even have a, a current version of it. Um, wow. And even with what I could find, I still could not find anything about about Sega. And it just seemed so weird to me that Nintendo uh, re- single-handedly resurrected the video game industry in the late 80s. And then you just mm-hmm. you would see a sentence in, in, in an article, um, in a you know, 10-page article or in an entire book that says, you know, then they went from 90% to 60% when Sega entered the market. And then Sony came in. And I was like, what? That sounds like the most interesting yeah. <laughs> part. How did, how did that happen? Um, so... You know, I, I was definitely, I, I developed a lot of intrigue. I, I don't think I was set out to write the book after leaving the store that day. Um, but I did once I spoke with Tom Kalinske, who was the CEO of Sega of America from 1990 to 96 and, and shepherded the company from 5% of the market up to 55 and surpassing Nintendo yeah. and changing what video games were. Um, and I was just, you know, I was just shocked. And so it, <laughs> I, I loved everything he had to say because the only reason I could think that there weren't books on this topic is that, you know, the, the stories were boring or the people were boring or that it was like, you know, just punching a time clock for them. And, and I sort of imagined working at a video game company um, was like working at Willy Wonka's factory. Um, <laughs> and, and I was so happy to hear from the people who did that it, that it was like that, or at least that they all, like, I think 98% of the people I spoke with considered it one of the best times in their lives and they have such fond memories. Um, so like, you know, it's just seems like such a, a no brainer to, uh, you know, try to write this book and to try to explore the topic. And, um, you know, once after speaking with Tom and other people and it eventually, uh, snowballed to, I interviewed about 250 or 300 people in the course of the project. Oh my gosh. Um, and it was a, a three year process, uh, which, felt very long <laughs> going through and, <laughs> and I would have loved at any point to, uh, you know, be done with it just cause it was very, it was very long and I had a blast writing it, but it was, you know, it, it's a 550 page book. It's, 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 it's a lot, it's five years. Um, but, uh, in the end it was great that it took that long because I developed three year long relationships with these people. So things that they wouldn't have told me at the beginning, you know, they told me towards the end and, and oh, it was nice. just a, a great process. And then along the way, it got even better when uh, I got to meet with uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, and they um, decided that they wanted to produce a documentary on the subject for me to uh, co-direct, and then also a yeah. feature film that they were attached to write and direct. Um, so that That's was so pretty cool. amazing. <laughs> that is <Yeah>. absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, a few of the things you said kind of sparked a question for me. Um, was there any interview in particular that was maybe the most intimidating or strange in any way? Uh, yeah, a few come to mind. Well, I mean, just generally speaking, uh, Nintendo as they're portrayed in the book is how they are. They're very tight lipped company. Uh, very insular. I think you could describe them as cultish, though I don't mean that in a negative way. Hmm. Um, but if, but if <laughs> right. you're on the outside, they don't really want to talk to you and they don't, want to, you know, it was very hard to, uh, to weasel my way into, uh, you know, speaking with these people, meeting with these people. And, and honestly, at first, even just figuring out who are the people I wanted to speak with, because I didn't know who the mm-hmm. players were. I, you know, I knew Howard Lincoln, um, and, and then I knew Tom Kalinske, but, you know, I didn't know who the executives were at these companies and who was working on what game. Um, so that was important for me to map out. 
Um, but in terms of intimidating interview, it was uh, definitely Hayao Nakayama, who was uh, the president of Sega Enterprises um, the, in, in Japan. Um, you know, a lot of the books mm-hmm. talk, talks about this division between Sega of America and Sega of Japan and uh, this cultural clash. And so uh, Tom Kalinske was the head of America and, and, you know, they were very successful here. They were not very successful in Japan, um, but, but they were in charge over there and, and Hayao Nakayama was in charge and he, uh, He's a very intimidating figure. He has this incredibly long comb over. Um, <laughs> that it's, it's just amazing, you know. You like, I don't know. I guess that's what he should do. But uh, not, like, maybe a wig, maybe just go bald. But um, I love hearing from the guys at Sega of America that they would they loved when um, the office was when it, when Nakayama would come because they would look out the window and the wind would mess up his hair and he would get all upset before walking into the office, but they would see this. Oh. <laughs> and so I, I've been trying to speak with him and, and like a lot of the um, Japanese employees, um, it was very difficult to uh, even get a reply from them, let alone a, a, a decision to speak yeah. with me. Um, but I, I, I thought it was very important that I speak with Nakayama-san since he's a big part of the story. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I was in Japan working on a, a, a different project I got an email from him on like a Tuesday and he said, uh, you know, I heard you're looking for me, uh, be at your hotel at three o'clock on Friday and I'll have a couple guys, uh, meet you there and talk with you for an hour. And if it looks like a good fit, then you'll come by my house and we'll have tea. Wow. And I was like, wow, what? that, that sounds intimidating. It's like, do you go to your hotel this time? I'm sending guys. Yeah. No, <laughs> it sounds, it sounds a little mafia S. We're going to yeah. take you for a ride. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it uh, was very intimidating and it was intentionally intimidating. You know, in the middle of our conversation, uh, he, uh, I spoke in English and he spoke in Japanese and we had a translator, though he certainly understood everything I was saying. Um, but, but that's, <laughs> but that's very common in Japan. Um, even for people who are fluent in English to have a translator cause they feel more comfortable hmm. and they, and they uh-huh. like, you know, they sort of like to cloak behind, uh, that layer of added layer of communication, but uh, sort of Tanakiyama's character. In the middle of this uh, conversation, he apologized to me for the terrible translation skills of our translator, who was the only per- other person <laughs> in the room. And I, you know, I had been having a great conversation. I, I didn't notice any problems, so I said, I, "Oh, okay, you know, I, I, I seem fine. It, you know, if the, if I should speak differently, let me know." He's like, "No, you're doing fine. This guy is a terrible translator. I'm, just, I'm horribly <laughs> offended. I'm sorry." Oh my god! And he relieved the guy of his duties, and we talked in English for the second half. But it was just like, you know, really, that's the kind of guy he's he was. like. You're he, you're fired. <laughs> they have uh, people drag him out. I have no idea if the translation was good or not. I assumed it was because we seem to be getting along fine, you know, understanding each other. But even if it wasn't, there's definitely a different approach to uh, to to switching the conversation <laughs> to English that didn't involve the way that he did it. But that's kind of that's who he was, and and that was definitely the most memorable and the most intimidating of all the interviews. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that I is gotta, amazing. I got to say, one of my favorite things about the book. Uh, and a lot of it sounds just from the way you're describing is it, it's it's very historical it's very informative but it reads like a novel like yeah, it wasn't crazy. just like oh here's here's Sega and here's Nintendo it's like here's Tom Kalinske here's Al Nielsen here's Shinobu Toyota it's like the history of like these people and their careers and it's so intriguing I couldn't believe how addicted I was <laughs> to like to their stories thank you that's awesome yeah. I mean that, and that is because um I when I noticed that there were so few books on video games, and especially that you couldn't even just walk into a bookstore and find a book on video games, I wanted there to be a book that 
that anybody could read, you know, whether you love video games, whether you hate video games, whether you played them back then and don't play them anymore. Um, you know, my ideal reader that I wrote for was my grandmother who doesn't know anything about video games, except that I begged her to buy them for me when I was younger. Um, so I thought if I could make a story that is, that reads like a novel, you know, but, but just so happens to be about video games, um, then that's perfect. You know, it was like, it's like when you give a pill to a dog, you stick it in a, a treat and, you know, it, it goes down easy. Yeah. But I also got in that historical information that I thought was exciting and interesting and important for people to leave the book knowing. Um, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I'm also of the mindset as a, as a writer and creative person in general that everything you do needs to be entertaining. I, and otherwise, well, I don't think people necessarily should uh you know consume whatever your whatever story you're trying to tell there's definitely a way to to tell things in an entertaining way so so my idea was kind of to tell a story as rich and dense as james stewart's disney war which was about the history of of disney and and michael eisner's years there so something as as rich and dense as, as disney war but that read like the da vinci code because that's just you know page turner you it's uh addictive read so i'm glad that that resonated with you um, oh it absolutely yeah it absolutely did Uh, especially with this age of the internet you know we always feel like oh you can just you can just google anything it's so easy and every time it touched on a story like of nintendo kind of backstabbing sony at ces (laughs) or like (laughs) you know these soa soj like riffs like no i know these stories and then you get these chapters like "I, i didn't know any of this stuff that's going on this is this is incredible yeah, it was it was really fun. I it was a three plus year project, and I honestly I never for once got sick of working on it, which is the first time I can say that about any project. And I was always learning really exciting things. And and even now that the book's done, I still continue to interview people and talk with people. Maybe it'll be for an article, maybe it'll be for a sequel, maybe it'll be for a, you know a paperback edition of the book. But I just I'm what what drove me to write the book was my curiosity, and that certainly didn't stop at all. Um, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm pulling for sequel. I'm <laughs> if I can throw my vote in. Now, do you think with like a paperback edition, we would have like like a revised edition where maybe some additional stories get tossed in? That's uh, that's what I'm hoping. the the the, paper, the first paperback of the book will come out in May, um, and I'll be meeting with the publisher later this month to figure out exactly that. Um, I've I've since written some stories for uh, for IGN and a couple other places that you know, take place around this time period, but, but didn't fit into the narrative of the book because, because that was, you know, why I, part of the reason I think that it's a very compelling read is because it, it, it you know, it reads like a novel. There's a, there's a central narrative. And so there's a lot of interesting things and important contributions that happen, but, but didn't always fit into that. So um, I'd love for, for the paperback edition to include that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I I had a, a really fun time writing it. I'm glad that it reads like a novel. And and the other big inspiration for me was Game of Thrones, um, because somewhere around the middle of this research process, I realized that's exactly what the story was. It was just, you know, hmm. all these companies that <laughs> yeah. thought they had a right to be the dominant console <laughs> and, and had different <laughs> fighting styles and different personalities. <laughs> and, and that was what was great, because... When I first started, I assumed that this was the story of, you know, Sega being the hero and Nintendo being the villain. And, and there's definitely a perspective to look at that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, this you could say the same thing about, you know, the Lannisters are the villains. But when you see the story from their perspective, no, they're not at all. And, you know, they have their reasons for doing what they do. Um, and yeah. other people don't agree with them. But, but that's what I love so much about those books is that they're told from different perspectives. Each chapter is a different perspective and it's, you know, it's written in the third person. So it's not so authoritative in like the first person. So it's not like pushing it down your throat that you should sympathize with these people, but it just shows you the same story 
from a different perspective. And I think that's important for history because so often it's not written necessarily by the victors, but it's written by the writers. And once it's written, you know, it makes it seem like it's a, it's a fact, but there's, there's often two sides to a story and, and the truth is right. kind of in between there. Yeah. Yeah. Now you also mentioned that, uh, there's a documentary in the works. There is, there's a, a documentary and a feature film. Um, and uh, oh, there's two, pro- yeah, there's okay. two projects. Yeah, um, and, and I, I, I'm so excited about both because I love documentaries because I love when these stories happen, that kind of fly on the wall perspective of like getting to find out all like the juicy details. But just like I said, this, this thing reads like a novel. I, I can totally picture a full like film feature about this story. Yeah, it really clicked for me the first time I spoke with Tom when he's he's on a beach um, in 1990, in the summer of 1990. He doesn't know what he's going to do next in his career. You know, worried maybe the best years of his life have gone by. He's done so many great things, but he still feels like he has got another great thing in him. And this small Japanese guy appears out of nowhere, Hayao Nakayama, and <laughs> offers him a job to run Sega. Tom doesn't know the first thing about video games, but he knows that Sega has less than 5% of the market and that this would be a pretty interesting fight. Um, so I just, you know, that, that to me was like the beginning of a movie. So, um, and, yeah, from there it kind of went, yeah, um, very cool. Yeah. And so we're doing the documentary. Um, I'm co-directing that with my business partner, Jonah Tulis and, uh, Seth and Evan and Scott Rudin are producing that. And then those three guys are also producing, uh, the feature film version of, of the book, which was, is with Sony pictures, um, which is obviously awesome. an interesting time to be with Sony and Seth given. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh Yeah. <laughs> I know they didn't. They just make like uh, I, I heard that the interview made like thirty one million yeah, in online yeah. sales. That's I, pretty wild. Yeah, all things considered, I hope that does well. Like I don't know what it was going to do before, but man, that thing deserves to do so well right yes, now. Definitely, that deserves to be just a flagship film for Sony. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about the, the film version also uh, on your behalf because if. America has taught us anything. It's that if you want to sell a lot of books, someone's got to make a movie about your book. <laughs> it's so true. Because, um, you know, the, the book, um, I obviously wanted to be the number one book on the bestseller list for the next thousand weeks of my life after it came out. But uh, <laughs> We're working you know, on it. I, I was hoping that it would be a, a New York Times bestseller and it just missed the cut. And I was a little bit bummed, oh. at, you know, as I should be, because I should want, you know, I, I, the best for the book. But I was kind of thinking about, you know, the writers who I really admire and do and, you know, have a similar style of writing with, you know, Michael Lewis and Ben Mesrich. And and I was thinking, you know, all their books are bestsellers, but it was after their movies came out, after Moneyball, after the social network. Yeah. So it is, it's so hard to, uh, you know, to really sell books. Um, but luckily, this one has sold very well, probably a lot due to the fact that there's the movies in development and that Seth has been such a good supporter. Um, awesome. and, and just at the and top, probably cause yeah. there aren't a whole lot like the, like it too, you know? Yeah, it's so. true. And, and when I, yeah, what, yeah what, people are hungry, uh, for, for this kind of thing. I know just from some of the feedback we've been getting from, uh, the listeners, uh, of the podcast, like they're loving the book. So yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. And you know, my, my, the, my number one goal was to write a great book for the people in the story. Cause I didn't live it. You know, they deserve this is great chronicle. So I'm, you know, them liking it is the best comp I can get. And obviously I'm so happy that so many readers have, have loved the book. Um, but, but the, you know, the other benefit that I'm really excited about is that when I, when we went out with the book proposal at this point, um, Seth and Evan were attached to write the forward. They were attached to a documentary and the feature and Scott Rudin was involved with both as well. 
And, tw- and the proposal went out to 25 publishers and 22 of them passed because they said video game books don't sell. Um, wow. You know, I, I was writing it because video game books don't, don't really exist that much. Um, and, and we had this dream team package and, and a great topic, I thought. And even then, you know, such a staggering percentage passed. So I'm happy that the book has done really well and will hopefully pave the way for that conversation not to happen with other people who want to write books about the video game world. Um, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and by the way, you mentioned the foreword by Seth Rogen and uh, Evan Goldberg, and I, I got to say, it's it's absolutely hilarious. They're <laughs> they're just funny guys, and that was really, <laughs> like, that was, I'm loving the book, but also I loved the uh, foreword as well. <laughs> yeah, that's just them. It's uh, like uh, we were, you know, they had to <laughs> deliver the forward by a certain date and we've been working with them for a while, um, the documentary. But so, you know, we had to build a little bit of a relationship and I knew that they just kept being like, oh man, we have to write this thing. We, uh, and, you know, they have ADD <laughs> and they've got all the million things to do. And that's exactly the tone of their forward is like, you know, how do we get to 2,500 <laughs> words? We got to do this thing for Blake. Oh, we got to do this. <laughs> um, so it's so them and it's, it's created, you know. They, you know, what I love so much about their forward is that they really touch on the nostalgia of the video games uh, from the 80s and 90s. And, and that mm-hmm. makes sense because, you know, they're, they're so good with touching on pop culture. And, and Seth and Evan are childhood friends. So a lot of their friendship and relationship was built on video games and built around video games. Um, and, and I intentionally tried to not um, have the book rely on nostalgia because I wanted it to be for any reader. You know, I, there, there was times mm-hmm. when I could have... Um, you know, talked more about the old commercials or about the old games just to sort of like try to, to strike that, that memory. Um, but, but Mm -hmm. that's, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I thought that was kind of cheating too, as a writer, but, but in the documentary, we're having a lot of fun with that, you know, with the old commercials, the old ads, the trade show footage you never saw, like, you know, the whole point of the documentary is to kind of be a time capsule and, and, Mm -hmm. and show you all, you know, to make sure that we, we hit all five of your senses and bring back great memories. So, um, yeah, Seth and Evan did a good job with that, and that's what the doc will be too. Yeah, that's awesome. I can honestly say I know I'm, I'm gushing with the book a lot. I really, really enjoyed it. I was actually uh, when it got to the end. One of my questions, which I ended up answering in my own head as I was writing it, was like, "How did you decide where to end the book?" And as I thought about it, I was like, "Well, it's kind of the end of those characters' story at that point in the company." But I was really bummed it was like the end of the book because even though it's long, I was like hungry for more. I was like, man, I hope he like. There's like, part two. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm well, thank you so much. Yeah, it was it was hard to figure out where, to end. it was the the book. It was just it was just it covers a lot of ground. When I first imagined, you know, what the the battle, the story about the battle between Sega and Nintendo. First, I imagined that this rivalry would be like uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. You know, sort of two great competitors slug out it, but along the way, developing this respect for another, even though they're competing. But that didn't happen at all. The people from Sega, the people from Nintendo, and the people from Nintendo still hate the people from Sega. Um, so that was my first lesson. That was awesome for me as the as sort of the go between and sort of the, the reunion organizer of getting all these people like together virtually or sometimes been. Um, so that was fun to see them mm-hmm. be so catty. Um, but but the second thing, um, uh, and the other thing that I thought was pretty interesting about, just while on the subject rivalries that I brought up myself um, was just that I figured that the most compelling rivalry in the book was between Sega and Nintendo, but it turned out to be between Sega of America and Sega of Japan. Um, and so, and sort of because <laughs> that was the, came the central conflict of the story and the answer to the question that I think most of us have, like that grew up with 
Sega being dominant as a hardware maker is what happened to Sega. You know, they are a software maker and mm-hmm. still live a lot off the Sonic IP. And, and I think that that uh, American-Japan relationship is the answer to that question. So it sort of made sense to end the story when the guy who achieved success for America ends up leaving because th- th- that relationship developed to such a terrible point that um, that could go on. And so I would love to write a sequel or to write more just I, I i miss writing about that but you know even though the book doesn't cover why the dreamcast failed or at least why sega pulled the plug um i think that you get a lot of why they did just from reading this and, and sort of understand that relationship and what was going on at the time mm-hmm. absolutely yeah um gosh yeah. <laughs> i guess i could go on forever about this but i suppose <laughs> we should let people read the book <laughs> yeah so, yeah we don't want to spoil. Yeah, we, i was gonna bring up i was gonna bring up like oh this was my favorite uh anecdote or whatever what's yours but you know let's 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 leave the spoilers in the book yeah you have your uh one listeners read the book and then maybe you'll have back on another time and if they have questions we can answer them or if you still have some oh more my questions. gosh that would be amazing oh, yeah would be we would awesome. we'd love and, to have you back yeah, for sure yeah. so we, we will mention there. these things again at the end of the show plugs but yeah again everyone who's listening please 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 go buy this book it's so good thank I you not stress <laughs> enough <laughs> Like, if you are looking for a book about the industry, like, you will not find a better uh, book or more entertaining book. It's It goes by quick. Don't let the size intimidate you. That thing is amazing. Yeah, here, here's my little plug. I hate reading, and I am, I'm, I'm reading this book because I'm loving it so much. Well, that's awesome. If you that hate reading. That's a because, let's be honest, most of my friends don't read books. Um, most people I know don't read books. <laughs> yeah. And most of my friends... Um, you know, of the age where I feel like they would love the story. So I wanted to, you know, oh, my grandmother was the ideal reader is also my illiterate friends. I thought if this is a book that they will read, <laughs> this is something that they actually care about. Well, they go, oh yeah, Sega Nintendo. Um, it was specifically for people who don't necessarily like reading very much. So, um, <laughs> yes. And I appreciate <laughs> so it. That's well, on, the, on that note, Another another method you could use is the audiobook. I also grabbed the audiobook for this for my commute and I I kind of been listening to it again that way and man the audiobook is really well done. So like that's another fantastic way if you if you can't find the time to sit and read like listen to it then it's fantastic. Yeah, uh Fred Berman narrated the audiobook. Um he is in uh, The Lion King on Broadway. He's a super talented guy and he just crushed oh, it. He knocked it out of the park. Um we you know before he did his recording I, I showed him some clips from the documentary in case he wanted to see how these people actually spoke though. You know, he should, it's his interpretation. So he should do okay. whatever he wants based on the book. But he, you know, he did actually a really good job of, of emulating a lot uh, of yeah, how they speak. He, and he, he, he did I just, a great he, job. I, he did awesome. <laughs> I kind of kept looking back at it. Like, is, is it just one guy? Yeah. This thing? Like, this incredible. is incredible. <laughs> he did a fantastic job. So you mentioned that Smash Brothers is keeping you away from writing. Um, are you allowed to talk about what you're writing right now, or is it secret stuff? Um, it's not secret stuff. I'm uh, trying to figure out what I want to write about next as a book. In the meantime, I've been writing some articles, as I mentioned. Um, I, I'm writing a piece about uh, the history of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! Um, oh, very cool. And that also cool. about uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie that never happened in 1995 that was supposed oh, wow. to. wow. Um, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, neither had I. And I even after <laughs> I turned in the book, um, you know, at first when people had more stories to tell me, I thought, oh, crap, like you couldn't have told me this two months ago. But then kind of going back <laughs> to what I said earlier, you know, my curiosity for this never ended. It's only increased. So I still I want to know all these things. And 
you know, whether that's in the paperback or it's as an article in the paperback. Oh um, my gosh, just, that sounds like a fantastic story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, one of my one of my favorite parts is when they talk about, uh, or when you talk about the um, the Super Mario Brothers movie and like how many different <laughs> versions of that movie that there are and like how we ended up with the one that we got. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's a Sonic one too? Like, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, well, yeah. the saddest thing about that Mario chapter, which I, it was one of the most fun ones to write, just the development hell with that movie and why it's such a piece of um, <laughs> that's like almost every movie. That's like the process, you know, whether it turns out good or bad in the end, you know, usually it's the, the better ones don't have those kinds of things as much, but like there is a development hell to almost every project. So it was just kind of funny that, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that does read like such a tortuous process. And it was for all people involved, <laughs> oh, but man. it happens wow. so to such an alarming degree. Uh, but the Sonic movie <laughs> would have been even worse. Um, the, the, the two main treatments, that existed. One of them was about um, like a 16 or 17 year old kid named Jonathan Hedgeman, who was a human and then sort of <laughs> gets a, like a, you know, uh, uh, in a chemical lab somehow bounces into chemicals no. and turns into a sign hedgehog. And the other is about a kid who's like, of course it did. Of course it did. A, like a, uh, a kid that goes into a television and then it's sort of more like a Roger Rabbit, um, like human world meets com- cartoon world um oh. i think they both would have been horrible so it's good that they didn't <laughs> the we 90s, were spared the we 90s were spared. was such a special time i know they were, they were so, so 90s special. the story like it was just oh that's amazing pathetic now we have uh two more topics should we do them or should we just forego these other topics because i'm having a great time just I talking having an amazing about the time book. here i mean we basically talked about my topic earlier so I'm, okay i'm cool giving up mine, well so. why don't we do this we'll have blake make his 2015 predictions knowing that he is a gaming historian maybe he can <laughs> use the lens of the past to forecast the future what do you think what do you think is going to happen in the world of gaming in 2015 blake I think that on December 31st, 2015, I'm still going to suck at Smash Brothers. Um, no, but I really think that, uh, what, you know, that what there's going to be a big change that can happen probably within the, probably in 2015, maybe, maybe not within the year, but everything's going to change once uh, the Oculus Rift comes out and once virtual reality uh. becomes a commercially viable and palatable way to play not just video games but you know a way to interact socially but but at first video games and i think that you know one of the first things people ask when when the book came out was you know oh is this the last generation of consoles how much better can the graphics really get um that's a fair question i I don't think that this is the end of the console wars at all i think it's just gonna the terrain of the battle is going to change a lot and and the way that we the Nintendo's Wii kind of shifted things by focusing on the gameplay aspect as opposed mm-hmm. to the graphics. I think that virtual reality and, and other innovations like that are going to be where the future of consoles go. So, um, yeah. you know, I think the, uh, the Oculus Rift is going to be the biggest story in gaming at the end of the year. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, I 100% agree, actually. I've been thinking about Great. Morpheus. If, if Morpheus for PS4 is $200, I'm on board. If it's any more than that, I got to wait <laughs> a long time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not made of money, people. But, but also uh, kind of, you know, what's so interesting about it um, is that kind of, you know, as we're talking about at the beginning of the show, the Back to the Future 2, that like we finally arrived in the future. Yeah. Ha- like, hasn't it been since then that we've been promised virtual reality is coming? I remember <laughs> right? in the 90s, I went to the mall and there was like, 
VR displays where now they have like the the weird massages like <laughs> like it was it it seemed very imminent virtual reality and, yeah. and you know it, it it came not in a successful way and there was Virtual Boy and Sega had a VR headset and there was other oh, things that were not necessarily yeah. game. <laughs> but like now 20 years later it's actually coming in a, I know, in a I know. way that's going to cost probably only $200 for your own headset and yeah. interchangeable games like that's amazing that this is finally yeah, happening that's pretty amazing and I think I think the reason it didn't take off in the 80s or early 90s whenever we were seeing that stuff was just because either it looked a like virtual boy and it would make your eyes bleed or <laughs> it looked like the lawnmower man <laughs> sequences where everything's just flat you know poly- uh, polygonal you know and it just wasn't the technology just wasn't quite there and now it can look basically photorealistic um so Close. yeah it's 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 darn near it so. Yeah, so that's that's my one caveat. I definitely think there'll be another generation of consoles because this generation of consoles can do 1080p just fine. But what Oculus Rift guys are finding out, like the people working on Oculus Rift, what they're finding out is that 1080p is not necessarily high enough resolution to trick your brain into thinking what you're seeing is real. And once they can trick your brain into, into what you're seeing is real, that's when VR doesn't make you feel sick anymore. Mm, and so mm. and so you know they're they're like experimenting with upping the resolution and stuff like that and i don't think that the ps4 or xbox one can necessarily handle that so i think if maybe in a i don't know it could be 5 years who knows however long it takes vr i think that there will be another console that is powerful enough to drive the higher resolution and then that may be the last console. Who knows? Yeah, well, I, know. I know we we've talked a bit about that before, and, and I'm still of the opinion that for these things to to win as consumer products, uh, they have to be packaged in the box with like the next round of consoles. Like very much just like how you know Connect was a part of the Xbox. You got to have some kind of like a VR component right there in the box that people don't have mm-hmm. to go out and spend an additional two hundred dollars. Um, I not necessarily because I don't think the accessory would sell. Is I just think I just don't think developers will take the risk on creating games for a smaller market if not everybody has one they're not going to spend the time and the money to develop for it so if they want it like it's got to be in the box yeah i I feel like a lot of it is going to be uh the a lot of the way is going to be paved by oculus though because um you know as being that the pc is so cutting edge you know every everything there's a lot more people who adopt those technologies in the pc space mm-hmm. um, i feel like a lot of games will be developed for oculus and then ported over to consoles with vr headsets so i think i think that'll be uh one way that that happens but um all right my 2015 predictions are you guys ready i am ready I say the Last Guardian finally gets reannounced this year before the end of the year. What? It's reannounced. <laughs> reannounced. <laughs> Doesn't come out. Well, yeah. Oh, no, wow. I'm not saying it's out this year. That's crazy. Come on. <laughs> That's crazy. This is, least, this is the safest prediction of all time. You need at least three more years to get this bad boy out. But <laughs> <laughs> my prediction say, is that Sony will reannounce the Last Guardian every year for the rest of time. <laughs> They had talked about they were waiting, uh, you, you know, Shuhei Yoshida was talking about he was going to, they were waiting to properly reintroduce the game. So that's what I mean. They're going to reintroduce oh, the game I this see. year. We're going to see it running on PS4. It'll probably come out next year. That's my... I think that they'll announce a 2017 release date, and then that will be 10 years in development. <laughs> <laughs> 10 year life cycle of support of Last Guardian. Yeah, that's, that's there you go. <laughs> 
And then my second prediction would be the Xbox One will close the gap a bit on PS4 this year, but I yeah, don't I, so I don't believe it will quite overtake it. That's fair. So That's a good and then like and then game of the year, I'm calling it right now. Game of the year, Uncharted Four. Oh wow! Okay. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard folks. it here. I win a steak dinner that I <laughs> that I will probably have to pay for myself it's a, it's if I tough, am correct. Tough bet to bet against Naughty Dog, basically at any time. <laughs> yeah. Um, my predictions are first. I'd like to point out that my first prediction from December was correct, and the Xbox One did uh, go back to its original price. Oh, that's true. Four hundred dollars. Look at you. Yeah, yeah, I'm a smarty. You win a steak <laughs> dinner that you pay for yourself, also. Yeah, that's all of them. <laughs> Um, but I'm predicting uh, that this year, I'm going to say by E3 latest that the price drop will be back and it'll be permanent. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that Sony will follow suit after the fact, maybe in the fall closer to Christmas or maybe even at like, uh, like uh, Gamescom or GDC or something like that. We'll, we'll maybe not GDC. That's that's not the right place for it. But maybe at Gamescom or so, we'll get an announcement um, closer to the fall of a mm. PS4 price drop. Hmm. So I'm I curious. If, those sound if, like good guesses. If you guys were to describe to somebody, um, you know, let's say my parents who don't know anything about video games yep. or don't know much, what would you describe as the difference between PS4 and, and Xbox One? You know, whereas back in the day, it would be easy to describe, oh, Nintendo has these kinds of games, Nintendo's this, Sega's this. What What is the difference between Xbox That's One and PS4? That's actually a really fun conversation to have with people that are not as into the industry, because otherwise you get this fanboyism, like, well, Xbox is better, right, right. PS4 is better. Like, ignoring all that stuff, come on, they're, they're almost identical. They're so close. <laughs> I mean, true. the hardware is different in these consoles, uh, you know, granted. In, not and as much anymore, though. Not as much anymore. And... Uh, yeah, so from a technical pers- perspective, you can make this argument that PS4 is better, but when it comes down to it, all the third-party games are basically going to be on both consoles. Right. So there's going to be some first-party titles that come out, and those are going to make the big difference gameplay-wise and story-wise. Like, if you want to play this Naughty Dog stuff of Uncharted and The Last of Us, you're going to have to have a PS4. Um Vice versa. But how are you going to explain that to someone who's never played a game, you know? Like, that's hard to explain. Well, no, you no, just that, you, that's, you that's, fair answer i just you know yeah, yeah. it's always going to be the exclusives and i think that's something yeah. nintendo's known yeah. for years and years and years it's the it's their yeah. exclusives that have sold their their consoles and so mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's it's just that thing if you love halo and um you know gears and stuff you're gonna want to get an xbox one because sure. you'll still be able to play everything else that's great um and then yeah if you if you need to play those uncharted games uh you know the uh, Sucker Punch games, you know, Ready at Dawn games, then yeah, you're going to want a, the PlayStation. Yeah. So, Or the, the flip side of that is if it is somebody who doesn't really play games, then you can try to like show them like what, what features are different. Um, you say, hey, you know, uh, me, Ma, and Pop, Pop, you guys can talk to your Xbox and it'll do what you say. <laughs> right. Uh, or, you know, you, you know you're, you're getting pretty good at your iPad there. Like this, this uh, Wii U is kind of an extension of that. Your little iPad in your hands and you can play with that. Yeah. I, I think I think that is actually uh, in Xbox's favor. They have features that like regular Joes like. Like they have that you know you just pass you pass through your cable through your you know Xbox One and you can just say Xbox One TV and it will like switch to your TV. Yeah. Um, or you can snap TV to the side while you're playing a game or something. Like those kinds of features are the kinds of things that like I, I went over and visited some friends. Um, this Christmas, the, you know, and they're, they're not really gaming nerds, but you know, they, they got Xbox one 
And when they're when I was asking them why, they're like, "Oh man, because of this." And they showed me the TV thing, and yeah. so well, it's um, yeah, it's funny yeah, you mention if, that because uh, I was just talking to a coworker of mine, and she said she just got the the Xbox One, and she loves the voice feature so much that she's kind of forgotten everything else doesn't have it. <laughs> so she's like, she like, "Yeah, I was like, I was sitting on the couch with my Kindle Fire watching Netflix, and it was like Xbox Pause." Xbox pause. Why isn't this working? <laughs> Cause you're like, this is like this. I, now I need that feature. I have to have it. I want it on everything. And yeah. it, it mixes me up. Yeah. I feel mm. like if, if Mima can play uh, Sudoku and watch golden girls on the snap window, then, you know, I feel like Xbox one is going to be the console for Mima. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a great, I just love, I have, I, I have no relatives that have ever gone by Mima and pop up, but I love, and I kind of wish I did. Oh. <laughs> I, I guess the other big thing too that um, I'm thinking about as we talk um, is is I'm curious to see the ex original content uh, in terms of um, television show type stuff because mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. Xbox really did uh, especially more at first I feel like market themselves as like the, the living room console you know not so much for the hardcore gamers but more about like you know it's your central living room hub um, you know that not. I'm embellishing a bit, but but I think that part of that plan was mm-hmm. to develop original shows like Netflix, but these are exclusive to Microsoft, and not, uh, yeah. right. And so that, yeah. that could be a big piece of the equation that doesn't seem necessarily related mm-hmm. to gaming, but will play a role in the console wars today. No, it's absolutely yeah, I true. Think, we I uh, think the first one is actually out there right now. I think it, isn't it the Halo? There's like a Halo one that has like an actor that's that yeah. people are kind of like digging. Yeah, and then that yeah. uh, that that Quantum Break game will also have a television component to it, mm-hmm. from what I, I hear. Uh-huh. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing. And then I think Sony's following suit with the original content for PlayStation Network. Yeah, we um, just talked about that with PlayStation View will be their service. It'll be a subscription service, all like Hulu. No, I'm, I just mean as far as an original show. What's the name of that show? No, and, and yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like they're the with that service. Like okay, like if you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber, yeah, you're gonna get powers. powers and yeah. Yeah, I mean it's that's exclusive my favorite to comic, so I'm that, in particular I'm psyched for that, and I think that'll be potentially. A bit. Yeah, I saw the teaser for it, and I'm like, man, that looks cool. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, that very cool. cool. Very cool. All right, well, we better wrap up the show. Yeah, we probably it, should do that. It is time <laughs> for end of the show plugs for men. <laughs> Mr. Blake J. Harris, thank you so much for being here. What would you... Do you have anything to plug? Do you have anything upcoming that we haven't already talked about or if you would like to reiterate? <laughs> no, I have nothing upcoming. Uh, my entire life is devoted to console wars. Um, but no, I really just... I recommend that people read the book, borrow the book from your library, borrow it from a friend, um, whatever. You know, I don't care how you consume it, just that you uh, take it down. Uh, don't spit it back up. It's good... Good story. Um, you know, just writing it and researching it myself, I was so, you know, entertained and, and inspired by people. Um, and I'm confident that readers will feel the same way. Very yeah. cool. And we have our um, audibletrial.com slash SBFVGS. If you uh, want to sign up for an Audible trial, you can also pick up the book that way. So um, that would be super cool. Uh, follow us on Twitter at SBFVGS Podcast. Uh, I am Barry White, B-U-R-Y-W-I-T-E. Uh, Mike is Taco Douglas. David is David J. Tate. And um, Blake, I'm sorry, what was your Twitter handle? Uh, it's Blake J. Harris, NYC. 
Blake J. Harris NYC on the Twitter. And then you can also uh, friend us on PSN, Xbox Live. I'm Barry White. Uh, Mike is Taco underscore Douglas. And David <laughs> is David J. Tate. <laughs> That's um, me. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash SBFVGS or follow the blog at sbfvgspodcast.wordpress.com. And thanks again to this week's con- uh, Twitter contributors. And a huge thanks to our super guest friend, Blake super J. Harris. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> No, I, <laughs> that is brilliant. I, I, I am thankful to you guys. Thank you so much for having me for talking about the book and also, you know, all the support you guys have shown on the Twitter sphere uh, for the book. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. Absolutely. No problem. Thank you for the book. It's, it's amazing. Really. Thank you for coming on. Excellent. All right. That is all the time we have for the Super Best Friends Video Game Sleepover Episode 8. Thank you for listening. We'll be back every two weeks with more preemptive prognostications on gaming. <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook with your questions, topics, or musings if you want to be part of the show. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Let me stop this recording. I sure hope that nothing went wrong and it's all garbage.